Hey guys, I hope you're doing great today and I can't wait to bring you the show. But before I do, I just wanna make a quick request. If you're listening to the show and you're getting good value and you're enjoying the content and you feel that it's valuable, if you could just take a second and go and give me a rating and review in whatever platform you listen, whether it be Apple or Google or uh, Spotify, whatever it is, just go and give me a rating and review, that would be very appreciated. All right guys, let's dive in. Don't listen to people around you who are being negative or who are saying it won't work. I had the same thing around me when I started. People saying it wouldn't work. As a matter of fact, when I started, it was 08, and we were going through um, you know, that huge recession and, and real estate prices were plummeting. And if you turned on the news, all they were telling you about real estate was bad. Real estate, bad. Run away, get away, don't go near it, don't buy it, don't do anything with it. Like just get away from real estate. The real estate market was burning, in their opinion, and I was running into that burning building. <laughs> you know, I was I was going the opposite way of the flow of traffic, and I did really well during that time. If I knew then what I know now, I would have crushed, crushed that market. I would have it would have been game game changing, game over. It would have been awesome, right? You're listening to the Just Start Real Estate Podcast. If you're serious about your real estate investing business and need real answers, you are in the right place. And now, your host, Mike Simmons. All right, welcome to another Thursday live Q&A. This is not really live right now, but you're hearing the replay of a live Q&A. So it's sort of live on delay. It's recorded live. I don't know. Anyways, you know what I'm talking about. This is from my Wednesday Facebook uh, just Start Real Estate Facebook page live Q&A that we do every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. You guys log on, ask questions. I get questions during the week. I answer those. And uh, we just answer tons of questions and help people out as much as humanly possible. And uh, I thought that would be very valuable to hear, hear it. I thought you guys might like to hear it on the podcast. If you can't make it to the actual live, then at least you get the benefit of hearing the questions and answers here on the show. Uh, we had a good one this time. We talked about evaluating uh, properties like as a wholesaler. So the question I think was, um, you know, when you're evaluating properties, what's the difference between evaluating a property and what you're going to offer for a property or what you can pay? Uh, what's the difference between evaluating like a house flipper and a wholesaler? And so I answered that one. And how to stay focused and motivated, that's a big one. That's huge. I know people are struggling with that. It's not the, you know, it's not the like clickbait kind of question. And, and it sort of feels like, well, focus and motivated, it's so soft and fluffy. It's not really, you know, going to help me. It does. I'm telling you, this focus and motivation is what kills more businesses or, you know, soon to be or, you know, hopeful business owners, it, it, entrepreneurs, it kills more of them than anything. Like the strategies and the tactics, it's usually not what they're lacking. It's the motivation, the focus, the drive. And so we talked about that at length. And then buying properties in Detroit, somebody reached out and said they were um, thinking about buying properties in Detroit. And since I live in Michigan, I was able to give them my answer and what I think about that and what they should do or not do. So uh, that was a fun one. Uh, and then in tons of more questions, a lot, lot more. That's just a sample of them. So Guys, get ready, grab a notepad, and and uh, get ready to write because there's some good stuff in this one, some great, great questions that came in, and hopefully these will help you as much as uh, I think it helped the people who asked them. So without any further ado, here is my uh, Thursday edition of the Wednesday Facebook Q&A. Okay, we are live. I am back. I appreciate you guys being here. 
Let me get uh, all of my stuff set up. And we will be off and running. Guys, you know, we're here every Wednesday uh, at 7 p.m. Eastern time and 4 p.m. Pacific time. Okay. We are all set actually here. All right. Uh, welcome back. I, I'm happy you guys are here. Last week was awesome. We had a lot of, a lot of folks uh, who dialed us in and were live with us asking questions. It was great. Uh, when, when you guys come on live like that and you ask questions, uh, it pushes back some of the questions that I had from the week when people email and DM and, and send me messages with questions. We kind of put all those together and we answer them here on Wednesdays. That's how we do it. Um, I get questions through email and it can get sort of you know, it becomes a little bit of a part-time job responding to all these things as they're being asked. So instead of doing that, we bring those into here and let everyone benefit from them. When you guys jump on live, uh, we're, we're able to have a really fun interaction and some of those questions from the week get pushed. And so I'm going to be answering some of the questions that we didn't get to last time uh, that were asked the week before through email and things. So we'll do that. But if you guys are on here live and you have questions, uh, you will be given top priority by me. So that was a blast last week, but let's dive into some of these questions that we missed out on and we'll get through as many of those as we can. When people start asking questions, we'll go live to the questions that are being asked. Okay. Also guys, um, I get this, I get this question all the time in email. Sometimes it's not really a question about their business or a question about like, how do I do this? How do I do that? But people ask me where they can go for more information. Where can they go to get, you know, to get a deeper, um, kind of interaction and mentorship and coaching. So I do have a program. It's called the find and fun blueprint. If you go to find and fund blueprint.com, you can check it out. We actually were uh, scheduled to start that this week. We pushed it back for a number of reasons, um, but we're, we're pushing that launch back a little bit. So there's still time for you to get in if you want to. And I know that some of you do because I get this question. I just got it again, I think today from somebody. Um, how can I get more hands-on you know, mentoring, coaching? I want to really take this thing to the next level. And I want to help you guys do that. And I know there's a lot of pieces. There's a lot of moving parts in these businesses that we're all running. And, you know, me answering a question is great because there's a lot of these questions you may not have thought of, or you may have these exact same questions, but sometimes the answer to a question can, you know, spawn another question. I get that. I know that. And so you need a deeper interaction sometimes, and there is a solution for you. If you go to findandfundblueprint.com, I'm here for you guys. I want to help you out. Go sign up, go check it out. You will not be disappointed. I promise you, I will never offer anything and then not over-deliver. I always over-deliver. So uh, you will get everything you could possibly think you're going to get and more. Uh, I'm going to help you learn how to set up your business, how to pick markets, how to find deals, right? Find and fund. So we're going to talk a lot about finding deals. Deal flow is king. If you're not getting leads in your business, your business is dying. It just is. Your real estate business is dying. Leads are like oxygen. I believe that wholeheartedly. So uh, you need leads. And if you think you're getting enough leads, maybe there's better leads, cheaper leads, uh, leads that are going to lead to more contracts. And then at the other side of that is funding, right? It's, it's, a, it's a challenge for people. It, it always has been a challenge. It always will be a challenge, not because it's challenging or because there's something inherently difficult about it, but it's a, it's a area of, of people's business where they just, they struggle, right? Some people can find leads, can't fund them. They don't know where they're going to get the money. And so I want to help you with that too. Uh, 
all aspects of your business. We're going to cover it. We're going to get you nailed down, get you moving forward. So you're getting deals, you're finding deals, you're funding them, you're flipping them, you're, buy, you're wholesaling them, buy and hold, whatever your strategy is, I've got you covered. So go check it out, findandfunblueprint.com. All right, let's dive into some of these questions that we have in here from both this week and last week, actually. Um, first one, is the process for evaluating properties for wholesaling different than for flipping or buy and hold? Uh, it's different. It's different than buy and hold. It's not different than flipping. The only thing different as a wholesaler, when I'm evaluating a property, the steps that you go through as a flipper, it's exactly the same when you're wholesaling until you get to the very end. And the one thing you have to make sure that you take into account is your wholesaling fee, right? So let's just say, for example, um, just to make things kind of easy for this example, let's say you're using the 70% rule, which is you take the asking price times 70 cent, 70% minus repairs. Okay. If you do that as a flipper, uh, asking price uh, $100,000, 70% of that is $70,000. Repairs are going to be $20,000. That gives you an asking price of $50,000. That's good as a flipper. As a wholesaler, you have to also subtract your wholesale fee. So if you want your wholesale fee to be $10,000, then you need to get that house for $40,000. So you can sell it to the flipper for $50,000 and then they're good with their numbers, okay? So as a wholesaler, exactly the same, just subtract your wholesale fee at the end and, and then the, the process is exactly the same. Buy and hold is a little bit different. Um, buy and hold investors, and there's a lot of strategies, don't get me wrong, right? Buy and hold investors evaluate things differently. But in general, a buy and hold investor is far less concerned with having a lot of equity when they're done renovating because they're not going to sell, right? As a flipper, there needs to be money left over after you buy it and renovate it. There has to be a spread there so that you make money. That's, that's how you make money as a flipper. But as a landlord who isn't going to sell the house, right? You're, by nature, you're a landlord. You're going to keep the house and rent it. You don't need that spread. Maybe you don't need any spread, or, or at least the spread doesn't have to be so dramatic. Maybe you just want enough of a spread that you can refi out of it if you have like hard money or something you're doing the Burr method, right? You want to be able to refi and get all your money back. Then you need some spread. But in general, how a buy and hold investor is is more interested in the cash flow and you know the stability of the neighborhood and uh, what the rent rates are and compared to what you know what they're paying to make sure that ROI is good. So the evaluation process is just a little bit different. You're looking at different factors, like I said, like you know your your return, you know year after year, your cash on cash return year after year. You're looking at um, vacancy rates in the area. Um, obviously the rent rate, what, what are the rent rates in the area? Those kind of things, taxes, you know, become way more of an issue with a buy and hold than a house flipper. House flippers generally don't care what the tax situation is unless it affects people's desire to buy in that area. But in general, it doesn't affect the house flipper. If the taxes are a little higher, a little lower, you're only holding it for three or four months, right? So you don't need to worry so much about that. So uh, as a wholesaler, yep, exact same formula as a flipper minus your wholesale fee much different uh, evaluation process than, than a buy and hold person. Okay. Uh, when renovating a flip, do you recommend buying cheaper materials for quicker turnaround or more expensive materials to get the best price on the sale of the home? That's an interesting question because the premise is flawed. The premise here is that if you buy cheap materials, 
you can turn the house faster than if you have more expensive materials. And that is, that's definitely not true. Um, in fact, I would suggest you might be able to turn the house faster if you have more expensive materials because it'll be more desirable. People will walk in and say, oh, the finishes in this house, the, the cabinets, the countertops, the crown molding, like the flooring, this is all high end. Like I want this house. The reason why you use cheaper or more expensive materials is not how fast you can turn the house. Because like I said, I think I think you might have a backward. I think honestly, better materials are going to mean you're going to sell the house faster. But what happens with more expensive materials is they're more expensive. And so if you have a budget for your renovation and you're buying all top end stuff, you're going to probably blow your budget. And, and honestly, you're going to over rehab the project because uh, you really only want to renovate to the point that you're kind of following suit with the rest of the neighborhood. If your house looks 10 times better on the inside, it's 10 times more expensive materials. Chances are you, you wasted money. Um, if you're in a, you know, if you're in a C neighborhood, a C level C class neighborhood, and you're putting a class finishes, you'll probably sell it fast, but you're not going to make as much. You're eating into your own profits by doing that. You just want to renovate to what that neighborhood, what that market expects. And then maybe a little more, just a little more, right? Be a little bit, you only have to be a little bit better than your competition to win. It's kind of like that old, uh, that old uh, analogy. Uh, when you're running from a bear, you don't have to be the fastest person running from the bear. You just can't be the slowest. It's kind of that way in real estate. You, you just can't have the worst house when you're selling. And it's best if your house is just a little better than the competition, it'll set you apart, right? Because being a little better or being miles better than the competition, the difference there is your profit. All this is your profit and you're eating it all. So expensive materials in expensive neighborhoods, expensive materials when the buyer expects expensive materials in that market, and then less expensive materials when you're in less expensive neighborhoods that don't expect it. Uh, I, I flipped a lot of houses over the years. And one thing I know when you're in a neighborhood, there's certain neighborhoods, kind of that you know middle-class, maybe C-level, where brand new cabinets and brand new countertops blows their mind. It, it doesn't really matter if it's off the shelf, Home Depot countertops and off the shelf Home Depot cabinets. Be the fact that they're new means you have set yourself apart from all the other houses that they're going to see that day or that week or that month because the other houses all have cabinets that were installed 20 years ago and countertops that were installed 20 years ago. So if your counters and cabinets are brand new, never been used, like bright white or whatever color you're using, that's going to set you apart enough. To go out and get custom cabinets and Corian countertops, complete waste of money in that in that scenario because that isn't expected. Matter of fact, it might not even be appreciated because it may not even be something that the buyers are aware of how much more expensive it is unless you expressly tell them or, or put that in your marketing, right? So don't overdo it with your, with your um, materials. More expensive materials a lot of times just means lower profits. You know, sometimes people make the mistake of going into a house in a neighborhood where maybe they wouldn't want to live. Maybe, maybe they've just kind of scaled up beyond where that neighborhood is. But then when they renovate it, they renovate it as if they're going to live there. And so they're putting in all this custom stuff and they're just, 
spending way more money because they want to make sure they would want to live there. But you're not going to live there. You want to make sure that the folks who are going to look at that house, that they want to live there. Okay. So just keep that in mind when you're, when you're running, don't over renovate, don't spend more materials to try to, you know, impress anybody just better than the competition. So you have to be a little better. Okay. Um, next question. I know I will not be six. Wait, I know I will not be successful in anything without a positive attitude, but I'm surrounded by people that just don't think real estate investing is a good idea right now and are being very negative to me about it. Do you have any suggestions for staying focused and motivated regardless of the circumstances? Yeah, I totally do. And by the way, the folks who say that real estate investing is not a good idea right now, are any of them active, successful real estate investors? It's sort of rhetorical because I'm almost, I'm guaranteeing you they are not. They are not successful real estate investors that are telling you it's a bad time to invest in real estate. These are people who probably have never invested in real estate, probably are not involved in real estate more than having their own house that they bought 20 years ago. And they've only bought one house in their whole life and probably will always only have one house. Like nothing wrong with that, but they're not experts. If you have a question about your teeth, you don't go to a plumber or your barber, right? You go to a dentist, you go to somebody who knows that industry. Don't listen to people around you who are being negative or who are saying it won't work. I had the same thing around me when I started, people saying it wouldn't work. As a matter of fact, when I started, it was 08 and we were going through um, you know, that huge recession and, and real estate prices were plummeting. And if you turn down the news, all they were telling you about real estate was bad, real estate, bad, run away, get away, don't go near it, don't buy it, don't do anything with it, like just get away from real estate. And it's like the real estate market was burning in their, in their opinion. And I was running into that burning building. You know, I was, I was going the opposite way of the flow of traffic. And <clears throat> I did really well during that time. If I, hadn't, if I knew now, if I, if I knew then what I know now, I would have crushed, crushed that market. I would have, it would have been game, game changing, game over. It would have been awesome, right? I was getting into it at a time when things were like really ripe for real estate investors. And I didn't know it. I was new. I was just sort of like trying to figure things out and splashing around and just sort of figuring out what was going on. So I did okay uh, at the time. But again, if I knew then what I know now, game over. I would have destroyed, right? So don't listen to people who don't know, right? Listen to people who do know, like I'm all, I'm a big fan of, of like seeking out people in my industry that are really successful and have businesses that I admire and that I want to emulate and that I really respect and asking them questions and taking their advice. That's the best, right? So your question is, do you have suggestions for staying focused and motivated regardless of circumstances? Absolutely. Don't listen to friends and family. Don't listen to people who don't know what they're talking about. Stay away from people who are absolute experts when they've never done anything in the industry, right? I'm being sarcastic. They're not experts or far from it. And surround yourself with people who are in your industry, who are like you, who are understand what your goals are, and preferably people who have, who have achieved, achieved what you want to achieve. They've already done it and they're moving, they're moving even farther, right? Those are the folks you want to spend time around. I highly suggest you join a group, join a mastermind, join a program like mine. So you're going to be in a group of people who are just like you getting advice from me. I, I, I've been there. I've done that. I've seen it. Uh, but in any case, 
surround yourself with like-minded people. Go to meetups, go to RIA, surround yourself with real estate investors. Don't surround yourself with plumbers and you know airline pilots and whatever, yeah, office workers and, and construction workers. Like that's all, those are all great industries, right? But you wouldn't try to tell your plumber how to do his job if you're not a plumber. You wouldn't tell him what's good and what's bad in his industry if you don't know. And so don't listen to people who aren't in your industry, who don't know what they're talking about. Surround yourself with people who are all pulling in the same direction that you're pulling. And trust me, it, it the world seems a lot less scary when you're surrounded by a bunch of other people just like you. The world is scary when you're, when you're surrounded by people who all think you're doing the wrong thing and that you're crazy for doing it, right? So get away from those people. If they're friends and family, you know, you're going to probably see them, but minimize your contact with people who drag you down. And, and they're not, they're, I don't even think they're probably not dragging you down because they're trying to, you know, be a jerk. They're probably trying to look out for you and say, hey, this seems like a bad idea. I wouldn't do it. But I don't take advice from people who don't know what they're talking about. You know, I, I love them. I care about them, you know, but if they don't know what they're talking about, if, they, if they're not in my industry, if they don't have a track record of success or someone that I respect in my own industry, if they're not that, I don't care what they say. It doesn't matter. It's just background noise to me. I, I, if I listen to what people said when I was getting started, I would have never gotten anywhere. I'd still be working at a job that I hate. So get out of those groups and find new groups and spend time with the new groups more often. Okay. I get fired up about that. I could actually go on a rant for a long time, but I think you guys get the point. <clears throat> All right. I am always stressed out. Next question. I'm always stressed out about what is the most important thing to work on in my business. When there's a million things going on, how do I know what to focus on? Okay. I'm assuming this is a real estate investor. They didn't identify themselves as a real estate investor, but come on, this is a real estate investing Q&A. So let's just assume they're a real estate investor. And I'm going to assume that they're either landlord, wholesaler, or house flipper. Okay, one of those three, because that's, that's the audience we're talking to. How do you know what's most important? All right, here you go. I'm going to give you the answer that I've been giving to people for a long time because I truly believe it. And I've been all those things and am all those things, house flipper, wholesaler, landlord. If you are, <clears throat> so there is a million, a million parts. There's a million moving parts, million things you can do for sure. I, I get, you know, I can get bogged down. I can get overwhelmed with the things that I have to get done. But in your business, if you just simply don't know what to do next, or you're like, I don't know what's most important, whether you're a landlord, a wholesaler, or a house flipper, one thing you should always be working on, no matter what. Like you get confused, you get stuck, you get in a rut, go back to this. And that's driving more leads, marketing, finding leads, finding sellers who need to sell their house, leads, 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 leads. That is a guiding light, always leads, okay? Leads, because if you stop getting leads or you're getting bad leads, you're dying. You can staff up all you want. You can get your website going and have that looking great. You can get your CRM all lined up and looking great. You can even line up private money and have all your money in, in line. But if you don't have leads, all of that means nothing. Leads, leads. And then when you get leads, make offers. Leads, offers, leads, offers all the time. Okay. One other thing that you need to uh, to worry about, or one other like pillar that I call them that you need to always make sure is is active in your business, 
other than leads. If you're a wholesaler, the other thing other than leads is buyers. You need to be increasing your buyers list. And I'm not saying increase it just for the sake of increasing it, but what I have found and what I know to be true, this is really beyond argument in my opinion, it's not the size of your buyers list, purely the size that matters. My buyers list, I think is like 4,500, 5,000, something like that. 5,000 people do not buy houses from me. A much smaller percentage of the, how, of the buyers in my list actually buy houses. But for every 100 people on your buyers list, there's a certain percentage of those 100 that are actually active, serious buyers who are going to buy deals from you. And you don't always know who they are of the 100. It's hard to know initially until they start buying houses who they are. And maybe out of 100, maybe there's one. Maybe there's five, maybe there's 10, but it's some amount less than the hundred, right? There's some percentage of that hundred that's buying houses actively. They're actually going to be a good buyer. And because it's hard to know for sure, you just need to build that buyer's list up so that you can get several hundred or several thousand buyers on the list so that you increase the number of actual really good, good buyers for you. And that you, you can only do that by growing the buyer's list. Now, there's ways you can prune that back after uh, over time. If, you, if you're using like an email marketing tool like uh, MailChimp or you know, uh, um, uh, Aweber or one of these other ones, you can go in and you can delete anybody on your list who, for example, hasn't opened up a mail piece in six months or hasn't opened up any of your, any of your emails in a year or whatever, whatever metric you want to set. And then you can, you can delete those out and sort of prune. So you don't have, you know, 50,000 people on your, on your mail, on your uh, buyer's list. And then you have all these tens of thousands who never have opened an email, never buy because that can hurt you, hurt your list. It can get you on the, on the spam, you know, filters and you can get caught, things like that. Right. So we're not going to get deep into that, but Grow your buyer's list, wholesalers. Grow your buyer's list. Leads, buyer's list. If you are a flipper or a landlord for that matter, leads is always one pillar. The other pillar for you is money, funding. You need to continuously grow and cultivate your funding options. Now, if you tell me, oh, I just use hard money. That's what I, that's what I do. That's great. I have a hard money company. I'm totally down with using hard money. However, as a hard money lender, I'm still going to tell you, you should be cultivating private money uh, relationships because private money is always going to be cheaper in the long run. It's going to be cheaper and better for you for scaling your business. So wholesalers, leads, buyers list, uh, house flippers and landlords, leads, capital, money. Look for money. Now, if you tell me, Mike, I've got all the money I need, I have more money than I'll ever use available to me, then I say, find cheaper money, find better money. And if you say, I've got cheap money, I've got it at 10%, find it for nine. If you tell me you've got it for 8%, find it for six, right? Always, always try to upgrade your funding situation. And if you tell me you've got more leads than you can handle, then I say, look at the quality of those leads and look what those leads are costing you and try to increase the quality, decrease the cost. Always try to improve your lead situation, okay? Wholesalers, leads, buyers. Everybody else, leads, money.
Those are the things you need to focus on when you don't know what else to do or when you're overwhelmed. Because those two things can solve a lot of other problems in your business if those are working. Now, leads has a has a like a one A, and that one A thing is offers. I, I know people that are getting a lot of leads and they're letting them go into some, some CRM or they're going to voicemail and they're not monetizing them. You need to be making a lot of offers. Leads is just the hard part, in my opinion. The offers is the easy part, but you have to do it. Make tons and tons and tons of offers. Make offers on everything your wholesaler sends you if you're a flipper or buy and hold. Um, if you're going on the MLS and using realtors to look for deals, make offers on tons of stuff on the MLS. Offers, 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 offers. You have to be making offers. So those are the things that I worry about when I don't know what else to, to focus on. Okay, next question. I am a buy and hold investor and I'm looking to get better get a better understanding of what wholesalers are seeing in today's market. I buy mostly single family and small multifamily deals. What kind of deals are you guys getting under contract? What percent of ARV are you locking them up for? Meaning on average, are you guys passing these on to your buyers at 50% of ARV, less costs, 80%, 60%? Um, I can only answer for me. I am a wholesaler. I do lots of wholesale deals every year. We don't look at it like that. We don't do a percent of ARV. To me, a percent of ARV calculation is what you do when you're new, when you don't know how to do anything more sophisticated, you do percent of ARV. And I have gone through on this Q&A, like exactly the formula. I'm not going to do that right now. But what I will say is percent of ARV minus renovations you know how just now a minute ago, I was harping on offers, 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 make tons of offers, right? When you're making tons and tons of offers, <clears throat> I am not advocating, I'm not a fan of you spending an hour on each offer that you're making tons and tons and tons and tons and then spending an hour on each one. That's absolutely wrong. It's crazy to me. Uh, it's a waste of your time. When you're making tons of offers, let's just say, for example, on the MLS, you're making tons of offers. Then, and only then, do I say a percentage of ARV minus, minus renovation and make the offer, right? Because when you're making tons of offers, you just need to get close. You need to get in the ballpark. When you do that and you make tons of offers and you're just taking whatever, ARV minus um, expenses or ARV times 70% or whatever minus expenses, that works and then when somebody says, oh, I got your offer, it's way too low, uh, and they make a counteroffer, now <clears throat> you dig in and you start really diving deep into that offer and, and really like dial it in to know exactly what you want to spend on that deal so that you can go back and forth with that negotiation. Only when you get engaged by the person you're making the offer to, do you go deep dive and spend lots of time making that offer? Other than that, ARV, 70% minus expenses, go. Dive in deep once you get engaged. If they come back and say, hey, I accept your offer, chances are you 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 got close, but you're, you're too high probably, right? So that's when you, if they email you and say, I accept your offer, right? Then that's when you dive deep. Because before you write them back and say, okay, I'm good to go, you want to make sure that you are. And if you're not, just say, hey, I'll be honest. Listen, I, I made the offer. You're right. I just took a second look at it. 
and I think I have to adjust some numbers. It, does it still make sense for you, right? Don't deep dive until you've actually gotten some engagement. But while you're in the mode of making offers, and what do I mean by making offers? Well, it, it's different for everybody. There's no hard and fast rule, but that doesn't make one, make one offer a week. It doesn't mean make an offer and then just sit around for a week waiting for a response. I'm talking about make an offer every single day. Make five offers every single day. Make 10 offers every single day. There's, there's no limit in my opinion. The limit is how fast do you want to get a deal? That's the limit. Because at the end of the day, it's going to take a certain amount of offers to get a deal accepted. The number's different wherever you're located, whatever, you know, there, it's, it, there's no formula, but I'm just telling you it's a lot. It could be 10 if you're lucky, could be 50, could be 100 before you get one accepted. Really depends on how conservative you're being. A lot of factors, right? But it's not usually one offer is one acceptance. And if it is always one offer, one acceptance, you're offering way too much. You're way too much. You have to dial it in and lower that offer before you move forward. So, um, and what are we seeing? We're seeing a market that's holding pretty steady. Uh, it's taking a little bit longer to sell houses now, not a lot. They're still going off the market pretty fast. But I think some of the completely insane practices of like, you know, within a couple of hours, there's 10 way over asking and all that. I, we were not seeing that so much anymore. Um, but sellers still have life events, they still have problems, they still have houses. Listen, for example, today, I went into a house. The house has been abandoned for three years. Uh, it's been, well, not totally abandoned. There's been uh, a, a, a herd of cats that are in there. For three years, cats have been inhabiting this house and just doing what cats do without any supervision. The house is overgrown on the outside. The inside, you can't walk two feet without thinking you're going to be sick, right? It's horrible. So the market that house, and frankly, the seller, they don't know what the market is. They don't care because there's a really bad code red going on in that house, right? It's going to be condemned, <coughs> excuse me, if somebody doesn't buy it soon and do something with it. So the market is hot. It's still hot. It's probably leveling off a little bit, not much, but a little bit. And maybe your market, it's leveling off more in other markets. Maybe it's still growing. But I think generally speaking, what I'm hearing, and I, I know folks from all around the country, it's still hot, right? But who cares? When you're making offers, make ballpark offers like crazy. When someone comes back with way too high, way too low, you're crazy, we accept, whatever they say, that is your opportunity to say, okay, I got the net close enough, right? I caught something. I just need to dial in my numbers a little bit and see what I actually can offer like 100% like commit to and, and be ready to close on. That's what I suggest. Okay, um, here we go. Let's see. Next one. I am a beginner in real estate and have a decent amount of cash ready for the Burr method. I am currently looking at a property in Detroit. All right, go Michigan for 7K because it obviously needs repair. And the seller says it should be about 25 to 30K in repairs, which would still leave me some cash in case of an emergency. Assuming there are no foundation issues, would you advise a beginner to stay away from a repair of this size or go for it? It's funny. Sometimes these questions I get, they're asking the wrong question. So with all due respect to this person, they're asking the wrong question. 
25 to 30 K in repairs is not a crazy big renovation. I, I wouldn't, I would not recommend a beginner stay away from a $25,000 repair. I, I just don't think that's, I don't think that's so big. I would suggest a beginner stay away from an $80,000 repair or a $100,000 repair. Usually I would recommend they, they not do that. But that's not the question that I think should be asked here. Number one, I'm, I'm from Michigan. I know the Detroit area. A $7,000 house in Detroit. Okay, that's one thing. That's, that's, a, that's a, in my opinion, if you're brand new, unless you absolutely know the neighborhood and the street that that house is on, you're familiar with it and you're okay with it, then, then fine. But the real problem here is it's 7K, a house for 7K, and the seller is telling you that it needs twenty-five dollars to $30,000 in repair. I can tell you this with a straight face, looking directly into the camera. I have never, never in 600 plus deals, I have never met a seller that had a, the slightest clue of what the renovations of their house are. They almost always way underestimate the work that has to be done because it's their house. They don't look at it objectively. They don't look at it like someone who's coming in from the outside who doesn't have any sentimental feelings toward the house. They look at it with more sentimental feelings and they're trying to be optimistic. You can, a new a new house flipper cannot rely on the seller's repair estimates, period, period. Do not rely on them. If they're saying it's 25 to 30, there's a really good chance that's a $50,000 repair. On a $7,000 house in Detroit, a $7,000 house in Detroit, rarely, and I'll say in this market, you do not find a $7,000 house in Detroit that you would want to buy as a beginner. Okay, if you know the area, you have experience, you're good to go on that street, you get the street, you get the area, you get the neighborhood, it's all good, and you've been doing this, go for it. Awesome, go for it. But in this market, even in Detroit, a $7,000 house smells like trouble to me, right? It just smells like trouble. So if the area is okay with you, I'll, I'll take that out of the equation. I'll, I'll leave it alone. But a $7,000 house scares me. The, the seller's giving you the repair estimate and that's what you're using to, uh, to decide whether or not you'll have money left over for an emergency, bad idea. You need to run five, six, seven general contractors through that house, tell them everything you want done and get a bunch of competitive bids. It's the only way you're going to know. Sellers are one or two things. They're uninformed or they're lying to you, usually. Okay. Uninformed, no malice. They just uninformed. Maybe they're trying to be accurate, but they're uninformed. Sometimes they're just lying to you. They're not telling you everything that's wrong. And they're certainly, if they're, if they're just a seller of a house and they don't, they're not in construction or real estate, how do they know what it costs? You don't know what it costs and you're in real estate. Well, or I'm presumably you don't know because you're taking their opinion. If you're out of state, this is a little bit in the back of my mind. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking this person's out of state. Maybe they're not. If you're out of state, don't buy Detroit, period. End of story. You don't know the area well enough. It's very street by street in a lot of areas. And I've seen too many people get burned because they tried to buy in Detroit because it's cheap and the numbers look good on paper. Don't do that. If you don't know the area, if you're not from the area, if you're not from that 
area of the city or you just don't know it, don't buy there. If you're out of state, don't buy Detroit, period. I'm just looking out for you. I'm from Michigan. I'm telling you, I wouldn't do it. I've seen so many people get burned. Sometimes no, nobody, nobody Ill, intent, Ill intentions, nobody had ill intentions, but a lot of times there is, there's somebody trying to, to take advantage of you. Okay, guys, we are at, uh, we're at the end of it. At the end of the questions, I appreciate you all for tuning in. If you're listening to this in replay, I appreciate you too. We're here every Wednesday on my Facebook page at Just Start Real Estate. If you're listening to this on the podcast, I'm doing that for you. You're not here. Uh, we're here at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. Guys, go and check out my program. I'm telling you, it will change your business. I promise you, it will turn you around and help you tremendously. But I can't help you if you don't go and ask for help. And you do that by going to findandfundblueprint.com. I want to see you there, guys. I'll see you next week. In the meantime, go out there and make it happen. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, I do these Q&As live on Facebook on Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. I hope you enjoyed this. Tune in next week for another installment of live Q&As answering your questions. Okay. Until next time.